Hello everyone and welcome back to the Deep Learning Crowd podcast. For episode four, we are joined by my next guest, Ritesh Kanji, influencer, educator, CEO and founder of Augmented Startups. Ritesh is a computer vision expert and over the past few years has amassed nearly 100,000 subscribers on YouTube thanks to his ability to train, teach and share computer vision and AI content. Today we'll be discussing some interesting topics around computer vision and technologies like YOLO, as well as different facets of computer vision, such as object tracking and detection. We'll also dive into some popular subjects like deepfakes, breaking down the good and the bad we're facing with this. Ritesh has created courses and tutorials around AI and has built a huge network of students. So today we'll find out why he decided to head down this unique route and build a teaching empire. I love this episode, so sit back, relax, enjoy the show. It's good to have you amongst the crowd. Thanks, Rhys. I really appreciate being on the show. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking the time. So look, I want to just dive straight into it. I want to find out about you, Ritesh, and find out what you've been doing over these, uh, all your your years of experience you have so far. So uh, so who are you and uh, what do you do? Uh, So like you mentioned, I'm Ritesh Kanji from the company Augmented Startups. And essentially, I teach computer vision, AI and drone robotics to students all around the world. Simple as that. Okay. And you didn't get to the position you're in now without uh, probably a lot of experience working, you know, working in a, a job. So what, what's your background? Like, how have you got to where you are now? So my background is in uh, electronic engineering. It's, it's quite it's almost like a far away from computer vision and AI, but not that far. Right. Um, so I worked for about a year um, in PCB design, and then uh, my contract didn't get renewed. Uh, there was a conflict between me and my boss, which we, which was it's very controversial. But um, beyond that, I decided to do my masters after that, and I wasn't sure what topic to do, so I majored in both computer vision and um, control systems. I didn't know which route I was going to go into, but. Um, I said, okay, let me do both and we can see where the road, uh, the road would take me. And then from there, uh, I decided to let me uh, overcome certain challenges. And then in those challenges, I would document my journey and how I got there and that. Now, instead of um, recording it in, wo- in a Word document like a normal person, I decided to make uh, video tutorials for myself. So what started out as video tutorials, um, I, it turned out to be something that there was a lot of um, value behind those tutorials because it wasn't just me that would require these tutorials in the future. So I started out with these video t- tutorials and then I just stored it on my hard drive hoping that it wouldn't get lost. Then I realized that there's a lot of data breaches and hard drives that get corrupted very easily and stuff like that. Um, and then from there, I was like, okay, no, wait, I need to load this up somewhere in secure, safe and secure, uh, either for me to access in a later date, like many years down the line, or for maybe someone else. So YouTube was the, be- uh, the best option. Since then, I've been uploading videos. I saw people were uh, starting to watch my videos and I'm like, wow, <laughs> people actually want uh, these kinds of tutorials. So what started out as one view turned into 10 views, turned into 100, and then now I have uh, approximately 7.2 million views uh, uh, currently as of this uh, podcast, <laughs> which is quite phenomenal. Let's put it into context. So you actually have how many subscribers on YouTube now? There's around 92,000 subscribers, trying to inch my way to 100,000. It's just a bit challenging, uh, especially with the YouTube uh, algorithm changing every day uh, or every (laughs) month. So it's hard to keep up with these things, Uh, but getting there. Yeah, but look, uh, what you've done so far is uh, incredible. And uh, we'll definitely dive into the YouTube scene shortly down the line uh, to, in this podcast. But let's just, uh, so I've got an understanding. So how many years of experience have you got working in the computer vision field now? Total working experience is about nine to 10 years. Uh, sometimes you lose track <laughs> as the years go by, but say around six years of computer vision experience. And that's mostly in the fields of like um, object detection, uh, AI, a little bit of augmented reality in that. And yeah, that's about it. Yep. 
Okay. Uh, and just, just we will also dive into this a little bit towards the end, but tell me a bit about augmented startups. What are you doing there and what's your role? So besides the admin role of managing the business itself, um, it's mostly teaching people computer vision, AI, and uh, being innovative in the space. So I noticed like a lot of people, when they come out of university, there's a certain gap between what they learn in university and what they require in the job space. And I tend to fill that, that gap or that void so that people can get jobs easily because they have the skills, their knowledge is up to date. And when they present it to the employee or their clients, they at least know what they're talking about. <laughs> One of the goals of doing this is to be a little bit innovative in the space, to see what other people are doing and then see how I can either do it better or innovate on it, do it differently, um, and essentially solve problems with computer vision. And just to confirm at this present time, computer vision is your number one focus within this augmented startup uh, company, right? Yeah, it's uh, the number one focus, but I do branch out into other areas like augmented reality and also drones. So let's talk about computer vision. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners will know what it is uh, or have seen it or even used uh, some form of computer vision in applications or something like that. But uh, in your words, what, what is computer vision? Um, the best way to uh, describe it is creating the intelligence behind the camera. So if you can imagine sort of like... Uh, a surveillance monitoring system and then you've got that person behind the desk with all the monitors everywhere and now he has to uh, decide what's uh, what's happening in the scenes if there's maybe an intruder he'll flag it and say there's an intruder over here and then um, take action on it so essentially we want to replace not replace the uh, all humans in with computer vision for this respect but just the human element in that so that we automate certain uh, things so maybe we want to do detection find out who's around objects of interest or uh, areas of interest that we need to figure out and take action on those immediately mm -hmm. i'm not sure how much of the history you know of computer vision but i'm sure you know a fair amount how long has computer vision been around probably a couple of decades um or many decades um I would say that it, it's half as old as the, the history of the camera, but I would be wrong in saying that. Um, I don't have the exact date for you, but um, it mostly happened during the computer revolution, um, or revolution where people were using computers to automate some tasks and people were looking to see how can we use computer vision to automate some tasks. Mm. But I, from what, surely from the experience, you know, from what I see as an outsider perspective, it's really starting to be implemented in day-to-day -day stuff now, a lot more. Obviously, autonomous driving, you get these mobile applications where computer vision. So it's more it's more happening in our eyes now more than ever, right? Exactly. People don't realize it, but they also use it in their phones um, for like uh, Snapchat filters, <laughs> um, augmented reality, like you mentioned, and... Um, also, surveillance monitoring, traffic uh, surveillance, um, and also sports analytics as well. Yeah. And how far do you think we've come over the last few years, maybe since you've been in the industry? Like, and how, how do you see computer vision advancing as well? I think we've came a long way from the, the first example, first few examples of hot dog, no, uh, no hot dog. <laughs> um, just classifying that versus classifying a whole variety of things. There's a, a lot of advancements in terms of uh, accuracy, speed, um, able to detect more classes, objects that are big and small within the image, which are of the same class, um, and also unifying it for augmented reality. There's a lot of uh, facets or areas of computer vision, uh, not just um, object detection and uh, classification, but also like uh, deep fakes, GANs, and uh, yeah, there's a lot more, but also pose estimation and image segmentation. Mm -hmm. And deep learning is played a, a huge role in computer vision of comparing it to like the classical computer vision, would you say? So how much, is, uh, how much have we benefited from the use of deep learning? And this application? Oh, quite a bit. <laughs> I won't lie. Like, um, things started taking off 
in computer vision quite uh, quite lot quite a lot because um, before we as humans used to create the models that uh, the computer vision algorithms had to process along the way so if I wanted to do face detection I had to create manually a uh, a model for the nose, a model for the ears, model for the face, and uh, for the, the the mouth region and that. Now all of that is sort of automated by using deep learning. So I don't have to do all these features and then put them together to say this is a face. I can now uh, throw in the deep learning model, just take a generic uh, ResNet model for face detection or even a simple hard cascade algorithm and then just use that for face detection. So I think uh, deep learning has helped a lot in terms of just automating certain tasks and all you have to do is just train the model. And then once you've got the train model, you can just uh, plop it into your detector and just run it like that. Yeah, so it just sounds like it's made everything more efficient. You know, yeah. you can do things without uh, having to do things manually. Automation, exactly. That's kind of what you could say. Yeah, but the the only downside of that is that uh, if you just run a deep learning model just like that, you don't exactly know what's going on. It's sort of like a black box, which can be an issue if you want everything known. If you know, if you want to know why the AI chose this as a face or not, you need to understand why in uh, maybe like industrial and defense applications. Uh, that's where explainable AI has come about uh, to try and explain what's exactly happening. Um, but that's another area of research. Yeah, no, of course. I've actually done a talk on uh, explainable AI, XAI, which was pretty mm -hmm. cool. But you look, you mentioned the different facets of computer vision. So we've got object detection, tracking, etc. So I'll, you mentioned it earlier. So let's, let's dive into object uh, detection. For our listeners, what is this? Object detection is, um, as it uh, implies, is detecting objects. So the object that you can detect is could be uh, a phone, it could be a pin, or it could even be a big chunky drone like this. That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so this was one That's of the incredible. drones. Yeah, thanks. This is one of the drones that I created using an object detection model to detect me. Um, and then yeah. that drone would follow me around and take off and land based on the commands that I would give it. That was quite cool. How long did it take you to build that in particular? Uh, it took me about three weeks to pull this. There was a kit that I got from uh, this guy called the Drone Dojo. He had this course and everything. And then I just took what he built on and uh, added computer vision to it. And then I was able to implement a body gesture control drone. And that is the benefits of going on courses. Learning exactly. <laughs> You're the man. Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about some of the key technologies you work with when it comes to object detection. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, what are you working with mainly? Um, the basis of it all is uh, Python with OpenCV. OpenCV is, for those who don't know, it's an open source computer vision uh, platform or library that you can use for generic computer vision tasks. I also use RoboFlow for the, the training workflow. So annotating the data sets, um, augmenting it, training it, and also deploying it. And then the models that I uh, get from the data set, I put in and train my YOLO model. So it's called, uh, the model is called YOLO. So which means, which stands for you only look once. <laughs> Love it. And uh, just, so there's there's like, there's quite a lot of versions. Um, I remember you sort of explained to me, so there's some earlier versions, V1 to V5, and then they sort of made a transition to actually start promoting letters like uh, YOLO R, YOLO X. And what, what's the most recent one at the moment? Uh, YOLO R and YOLO X. Are they different or the same? Or just like, is one better than the other? Or? So it, it, uh, there was an evolution um, through the, all of the iterations. So YOLO V1 to V3 was created by a guy called Joseph Redmond. He did a really great job in creating YOLO, which was uh, real time. Um, and it was fairly accurate in terms of detecting um, different types of objects. When it came to YOLO V3, uh, or the end of YOLO V3, he decided to actually quit working on YOLO, uh, mainly because of all the controversies happening in the YOLO space. People were using for military applications and he wasn't happy with that. So in protest, he stopped working on it. Uh, but there were others who actually came up and took up the mantle. And um, there's a guy called 
Alexei Pachowski, and he created Yola V4, uh, which was actually uh, quite popular uh, in the past year of 2020. And the accuracy and speed of Yola V4 was just phenomenal, um, in my opinion. Then we had Yolo V5, which was uh, quite a controversial release. Uh, it wasn't by Alexei Pachowski, it was by a company called Ultralytics. They sort of released just a little bit later than Yolo V4, so they said let's call it Yolo V5. But calling it Yolo V5 actually implies that it would be better than V4. Uh, I mean, if you have a version like uh, you, you wouldn't get iPhone 13 if you know that iPhone 12 was better than iPhone 13, uh, for example. So there's a lot of controversy around that. They just decided to stick with the name and call it Yolo V5. Um, I disagree with that name. Um, so after that whole controversy, what happened is people decided, let's not call it V1, V2, V3 or increment the, the versions. Let's rather call it um, an alphabet. So that was, that's where... Um, YOLO R and YOLO X were born um, and recently a few more other versions were, in, were released like YOLO S, YOLO F uh, amongst others also. Yeah, so as we know every software needs a hardware right, uh, especially of this level of complexity. So tell me a bit about some of the hardwares that you use for these sort of subjects. Um, the main uh, hardware that I use is an NVIDIA graphics card. Um, the current one that I'm using is an NVIDIA 1080 Ti. Uh, you can use a variety of other GPUs, like uh, you do get cloud GPUs in Google Colab that you can use uh, for free in some instances for a certain amount of time. You can get on-edge hardware, like the NVIDIA Jetson, uh, that's also using uh, NVIDIA's uh, platform. You also get the OpenCV AI Kit. Um, now, the OpenCV AI Kit is essentially a camera mixed with the AI embedded into the camera, where you're able to do the inferencing of the AI models uh, and computer vision right on the device. And then it's transmitted to a, th a third party host like a Raspberry Pi or an external computer or server, for example. And what I want to explore uh, now is maybe try some computer vision with the new M1 Macs, uh, you know, the new MacBooks that were released. So the 16-inch M1 Pro and the M1 Max, uh, those will be quite exciting to try out. So we'll see where that takes us. And for the listeners, uh, for the listeners listening, uh, these are not cheap pieces of kit, though, right? Yeah, they're, they're quite expensive. Um, with the exception of the Nvidia Jetson and OpenCV AI Kit. Um, uh, so the OpenCV AI Kit, also known as uh, Oak. Uh, that goes for around between, say, $99 to uh, $200, more or less. Obviously, you have to get um, the host, which can be another $100. NVIDIA Jetson is probably about $199. So you can fairly cheaply test out certain um, computer vision architectures on these devices. Cool. Now, in relation to object detection, um, what, what have been some of the biggest challenges we've faced uh, with this way of doing things? Um, if you've seen the, the one meme, it was just getting the accuracy. Um, there was a picture of, a, uh, of AI taking over the world and then uh, everyone's going crazy about AI um, uh, killing humans and stuff like that. And then meanwhile, my detective was just uh, misclassifying a, a dog as a cat. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think, I think um, just getting that accuracy and it's more about the borderline um, uh, scenarios where say, for example, if you go back to the dog and cat example, you get a dog that looks like a cat and a cat that looks like a dog. So that borderline one is where you we're trying to narrow down that, that margin of error, um, uh, trying to figure out, um, to distinguish objects from one another. The other thing is also, if I'm close to the camera, you can detect me quite easily, but what happens if I'm like, uh, say, 20 meters away from the camera? Can you still recognize that it's me using computer vision? And that's where you can either use a multitude of uh, computer vision tactic, uh, techniques, like mixing object detection with object tracking, maybe with some rec uh, reinforcement learning, so that or recurrent neural networks, so that you're able to memorize what an object is, where it goes and how it orientates itself in a 3D space. 
So those are the challenges that are still uh, being faced and uh, people are trying to solve those issues. And how, how have we been solving them or how have we got on with solving them? There's a lot of people um, out there that uh, use that are using object detection with tracking and LSTMs uh, out there. They are a work in progress. The, the other problem that comes into place is say if um, an object comes in front of me, then you, you essentially lose my track in the image. And so, so that, that is known as occlusion. We try to um, figure out how to solve occlusion and also re-identification if a, an object goes out of an image and it comes back into the image. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about object tracking then. So this is another area um, uh, that you uh, like to talk about as well. So what's object tracking? It's quite simple, but what is it? It's different from object detection or, uh, most in most cases where you detect an object and or say if you identify an object in an image and you want to see where that object is going in that image. So apply some sort of algorithm and see, okay, this object that's over here in frame one is the same object over here in frame 100, for example. So you want to monitor certain things like say a tennis ball in a tennis match. You don't want to identify, okay, this ball is a different ball from another one. Uh, or different people, you want to monitor people uh, or objects in the scene and track where are they going in that, um, so that you can get analytics on that specific object within within those frames. Cool. Uh, and what are the favor favorable models of uh, object detection? Um, the ones that I've worked with uh, mostly were sort and deep sort. Deep sort does decently well, like it, uh, it handles a small amount of occlusion like we spoke about earlier and it does re-identify when the person goes out very briefly and comes back in. Uh, so it works in those uh, borderline uh, cases but there's a lot of work uh, that needs to be done there. Um, most more recent models are FAIRMOT, um, so MOT stands for Multiple Object Tracking. And a new one that I want to try out is called Byte Track. Um, that one seems to be quite fast and accurate in terms of its tracking. Is this very new to the market? Uh, Byte Track is fairly new. Um, but um, to me, I want to try and understand it uh, quite soon. I've just been busy with a lot of things though. <laughs> Understandable. And what are some of the ma main issues that we are facing or we're facing with object tracking? You know, how difficult is it or how difficult can it be? Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, it's mostly the re-identification part. If an object can go out of a frame long enough, right, and come back and we are still able to identify it, that would be uh, sort of like not the holy grail, but it would be uh, close to that. In order to achieve that, we probably need some sort of memory of the objects that uh, come in and the objects that go out. Right now, we're just doing detecting and just tracking those features over time. Uh, that's how object tracking is uh, traditionally done. We just track features and uh, match those features from one frame to the other and say, this is object one, this is object one, object one, object one. But if you can say, okay, object one has a yellow t-shirt and uh, maybe jeans, for example, if it goes out, it'll, and when it comes back in, it'll like, wait, I've seen something similar uh, before. Maybe that could be the same guy, or maybe use face recognition along with it to say, okay, this is uh, person X or person Y. Uh, let's assign an identity back to that person that has come back into the image. So there's a lot of tricks in, of the trade that you can implement to make it a bit more accurate in that regard. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, there was another area that I actually, that you and I wanted to sort of go through and talk about, which was uh, the analytics uh, dashboard cam. So yeah. uh, tell me a bit about this and uh, why you wanted to talk about it. Um, so this is just a personal project of mine. Um, so if you look at a lot of projects on like YouTube, you see that people just have like a simple open CV window, which has uh, all of the, um, the, the data on the image, which doesn't look that great. It, 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 it is functional, but uh, not that uh, user friendly and um, eye candy as well. So I decided, uh, what if you create sort of a product or an end to end product, a dashboard that you can either show to a client 
or use in a real world scenario like um, you you won't want to just use an open cv window everywhere uh, you go uh, it's, it's not practical there's no buttons or anything you could use keyboard shortcuts but um, an average joe off the street won't know how to operate it so i said let's create a dashboard that you'll be able to click on it you'll be able to view it in with very pretty graphs uh, the user interface is uh, impeccable and it gives you much more information uh, that you need so that you can take action on those analytics that you extract from a certain computer vision algorithm or image that you've uh, ran the algorithm on. Mm -hmm. Is this more of a, just a personal project to see you know, how it all works? Or do you feel like this actually could be used in real life applications or, or industries? Definitely, yeah, definitely real world applications. Um, because if you want to develop a product, you, you would need a dashboard, whether it could be a web app, an Android app, or it could be some, um, any web dashboard that you uh, require. If you can create a finished, uh, finished product or close to a finished product as possible, and if I can teach that to people, then that's a bulk of their work done uh, for them. I mean, if they want to create an application for their particular purposes, they just need to uh, repurpose what I've taught them and they can just um, swap around the graphs, um, change for certain headings and change the application essentially. Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying this project? Yeah, uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable. Um, I, I like making things look uh, very neat and tidy. Uh, um, even in my open CV windows, when I used to work on that, I used to make like uh, bright colors, uh, great looking text and stuff like that. But then that wasn't enough. So I said, let's just make it into a dashboard uh, that people can interact with and uh, it will be much more user friendly to the average Joe. Are you just going for little drives every now and again to test more scenarios or have you just like done loads of recording and working off that? Or? Uh, it's mostly recordings. Uh, it's easy to work with uh, live games. So the, the application that I'm working on is not uh, focused on self-driving cars, but it's mostly for the, the transport um, traffic industry. So if you're monitoring traffic from a fixed camera, how do you monitor your traffic from there? Maybe you want to check the sp every speed of all the vehicles there or the density of vehicles. Uh, if you've got the density of vehicles, you can draw heat maps. And then from the heat maps, you can uh, overlay it on GPS and you can say, okay, there's more cars in this area uh, than this area. Let's maybe change up the robots or the traffic uh, lights so that we can ease the traffic congestion in that area. Nice. Now, the next subject we like to talk about is actually a subject that I actually wanted to talk to about as well. I find this very interesting and I don't know too much about it. So uh, deep fakes, um, you obviously know a fair amount about deep fakes. So uh, just for the listeners, what is deep fakes? So deep fakes is, used, uh, is a way to generate uh, synthetic images. Um, so images that are fake based on a data set of real images. So I can trail, uh, train a, an AI to look at the real images and then using a technology called generative ad adversarial networks. And that would essentially generate fake images from the real images. I've literally seen a video of someone doing a recording and using deep fakes have put it on, I think it was Barack Obama mm -hmm. or it might've been Donald Trump. And it looks like and sounds like, obviously they've done some audio work as well, but it literally is the, the president of the United States doing a speech which he never done and it looks perfect. That's crazy, right? Mm. I think that uh, there was a uh, video by, I think his name is uh, Peel. So he, d he used his own voice. He, he tried to get as close as possible to uh, Barack Obama. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, he's an actor, so he, he used his voice. Maybe there was some editing or not. Um, and then they just overlaid it with some defects. That was quite uh, scary, <laughs> but also cool in terms of the technology that they, that they were able to replicate it so, so, so closely. So I look at that and I see it. it's very exciting. You know, it's... Um evolutionary though like this is something that you know we've never seen before and there's nothing better when you visually see something like that uh, which can blow your mind when you know that person is not actually doing that but there has got to be some ethical concerns or you know concerns about this and you know what direction this could end up going down uh, but what do you think are the biggest problems with uh, deep fakes it's mostly impersonation 
So I can get on a video call and say that I'm the president of the United States and I would like to order uh, maybe a nuke to somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that, that could be quite a big risk. But now I think people have become more uh, aware of deep fakes. People are looking at ways to analyze video and to see if it's fake or not. There is some research into this area, but you know, anyone can be fooled. Like uh, the average off the street can be like, oh, this one is talking to me like uh, uh, this is someone else. I think I'm talking to the owner of this account uh, because they are live on video, but it's not the case. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. In, impersonation is a serious crime and uh, people can use defakes for impersonation or defaming others uh, in s certain aspects. Yeah. So when I, when I think of it, obviously most most people can be fooled by deep fakes uh, because of what how, how good and advanced they are. However, obviously, like you said, the, the real tech guys could obviously you know pull it apart and see that it's fake probably quite quickly. But um, what the concern is is probably more the fact that the average people, especially social media, if it's plant if it's something's put up and you know it has no has no reference to uh, you know where where it's come from and you know you just start it starts getting sent around all of a sudden you think this piece of information is real because you can only you you visually see it and hear it i guess so there i, I see a lot of negatives but you know what, what are some of the positives is it just more do you think we want to advance something which is really cool or do you actually see, feel like we can use this in uh, real life applications as well yeah definitely um I think people are working on it mainly because it can be used for real uh, real world good applications. Um, for one, you can use it for creating synthetic datasets because say if you want to create a self-driving car and it must work in maybe um, summer weather and that's so you only collected datasets of summer weather which is in your location. But what happens if it starts snowing for example? Uh, you can actually take your existing dataset and morph it into sort of like um, from a sunny dataset to a snowy environment or foggy in environment uh, dataset. So you can train your model on that. And then when it comes to that, those actual scenarios, it's more prepared for the scenarios rather than not having that dataset at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So look, we I appreciate all the uh, technical discussions that we've had. Well, more me asking you technical related questions and you answering. Um, but mm. I, I want to dive into as to why you're in this situation that you're in. Uh, you know, why are you, Ritesh, not working for a company or why have you not founded a company which maybe offers a, a product or, you know, a different kind of, uh, you know, like the, the, the standard sort of uh, direction a normal company would go in in the tech world. So why have you decided to become an influencer? Why have you decided to become uh, a YouTube, uh, you know, ex, you know, come, go on YouTube and do these courses? You know, why? Okay, uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, so when I started out, um, say about nine years ago, I wanted to launch a product. I wasn't happy in my job at the time and I didn't want to work for someone. Uh, I know a lot of people don't want to work for someone else, they'd rather work for themselves. So I created a product, it was a little tiny PC or not like a PC, it's a, you can say like an Arduino, a miniature computer. I, I called it Button Duino back in the days. Uh, so I tried selling that on Kickstarter or I think it was Indiegogo. But uh, I sold that and it did, it failed miserably. <laughs> uh, obviously, back then I didn't know what uh, I I was doing. I was young and learning, so I realized that hmm, maybe I needed an audience uh, to sell to rather than expecting the audience to come to me from a third party platform. One of the ways I could do that was maybe growing my YouTube channel. So if I grew a YouTube channel, I could get an audience and then uh, maybe some of the audience would become uh, clients of mine in future. The best way I knew how to do at the time, I tried different things, like a lot of different things in order to make uh, money and uh, get started in my own business. And then eventually I came to a point where uh, the only thing that worked for me was creating online courses. So when uh, the first course that I created was uh, on Udemy, it was a PCB design course, um, and that uh, did quite well. It's still doing quite well on, on Udemy. And then from there, I started uh, putting out more and more and more, more courses, uh, hoping it to do well. But uh, with the Udemy algorithm, they changed quite a bit, and uh, I was forced to move to my own platform. 
which will be on my own site, AugmentedStartups.com. And then um, from there, I've been creating courses on my own platforms um, ever since. And uh, I've just been enjoying it. Yeah, I've been watching your stuff for a while. And the one thing that stands out to me is your content. I actually like to put out a lot of good content, but to be honest, a lot of mine's reshared or, you know, I, I, I do like to dive in and do a bit of research, but your content is raw. Your content is comes from you, directly from you. That's how I found you. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because you're doing something different. You're not doing the same thing as, you know, what a lot of people were doing. Um, but how, how was it? So obviously you was in a you was in a position where you was working for another company for a long time. You was there for like nine years or something. Yeah. Now you got to the point where you probably wanted to do something different. You started doing the courses, and it, that sort of trickled it, and it kind of trickled, uh, you know, like a domino effect as to where you are now. Mm-hmm. But how was it taking that leap from where you had no more income from an actual job, nine to five job? How was taking that leap to to, do, to doing what you're doing now? It was actually quite a fun uh, journey, uh, I must say. It comes down to growing from a uh, a position of uh, no power to being empowered. Um, so empowering myself and to be financially free. It was it was a, a, quite a journey. So about say five years ago, when I was when my YouTube ch- channel started taking off and then it started growing, growing, growing. It got to a point where. I was able to be financially sustainable to a certain level. And then I was actually preparing myself for an exit uh, from the nine to five. And what I did was I saved up a sort of like a nest egg that would uh, sustain me for the next uh, two to three years on a uh, manageable uh, salary, like uh, being frugal in my expenses and everything uh, to manage all of that uh, uh, quite carefully. And then there was a point where uh, I went to my manager and I told him, um, look, um, I'm really enjoying my job, um, but I, w- I would like to do the teaching on the side uh, because I'm, more pa- I'm quite passionate about it and I'm learning a lot from um, teaching other people. Um, uh, and that's actually contributing to my skill level that's contributing to uh, my nine to five job. <laughs> so a lot of what I was learning in my own time was feeding into uh, my nine to five job. And then I realized, okay, after my negotiations with my boss, we settled on working only three day weeks. So Mondays to Wednesdays, I would work uh, my nine to five job. And then um, Thursdays and Fridays, I would actually enjoy uh, working on my own business uh, full time and just uh, propelling that into the next stage. Then it came to a point this year, April, where I was able to take the leap. It uh, Things actually took off, um, especially with my YOLO V4 course. Uh, it was selling quite well to a point where I was able to uh, just take the leap. <laughs> and I remember telling my wife, um, you know what, um, I, I want to um, quit my job. And I told my mother, I told my father. Uh, they, were, they all uh, thought I was crazy. Um, they said, okay. Uh, you're taking this risk, it's quite risky and job market is quite, uh, people can't get jobs and what you're going to do um, and uh, how you're going to manage it. And then uh, I told him, don't worry, uh, I'll find a way. If it works, it works. Rather do it now uh, while I'm young and uh, uh, still uh, uh, with no children on the way as yet. Um, do it now rather than later because um, th- that energy will help me propel the business um, in- into uh, being much more where it is now. So I took the leap. There was a little bit of a dip in the couple of months because I was working mostly on my uh, drone project. Uh, I wasn't putting out that much videos. I was just focusing purely on uh, the drone project. And then I noticed my income starting to dip. And I was like, damn, what am I going to do? <laughs> Uh, I don't don't want to go back to a nine-to-five job (laughs) definitely then I was thinking you know sometimes your mind wanders and like okay if I had to go back where would I work would I go uh, back to the same company or some other company what would I do but then I sat down I spoke to my wife I told told her all of my uh, gripes and my worries and that and then she said, okay, let's put on the plan. Let's focus. Um, let's figure out what, uh, maybe do some meditation and stuff like that. And then say within a week, 
I got notified of the the next YOLO model, uh, which was YOLO R at the time. Um, and I was like, wait, if YOLO V4 did uh, so well for me, uh, uh, let me jump onto the YOLO R bandwagon and see where that takes me. At the time, YOLO V4 was declining because a lot of people already had YOLO V4 videos um, uh, online. So who, who, why would they take my course, um, which was paid, when they could take a free YOLO V4 course, uh, which was free on YouTube. So probably the majority of the decline that was happening. And then um, once I focused purely for the next month or, th or two on YOLO R, um, I launched it and then uh, it actually, actually I pre-launched it. So that means I put out the sales page, said this is what I'm going to do. And then people actually started uh, pre-ordering it and it did very, very well. Like I was astounded at how well it did. And it's still currently doing on, on my website. Uh, so that was uh, a lifesaver for me. So that, that, that was really uh, quite a journey. It was fun. Uh, it was a roller coaster. Yeah, nice. No, wicked. It's a bit of a, a, a weird question, I guess, but do you feel like you benefited from COVID because of YouTube? Because the YouTube scene blew up at that time? Uh, both yes and no. Um, during the first uh, year of COVID, um, things were actually, the economy wasn't doing well. So I'm here in South Africa and the South African rand declined from 15 rand of, let's say, uh, uh, 14 rand to the US dollar to about 18 rand, bordering on 19 rand to the US dollar. <laughs> so that actually helped me quite a bit in uh, sustaining myself during, the, uh, during that, the, the, the last year. But then I noticed in this year, along with the decline sales of Yolo V4, people couldn't afford Yolo V4, it was a bit expensive. They were more focusing on themselves, uh, health-wise and stuff like that. Uh, maybe their funds were running out and they needed to sustain themselves. Um, I'm not sure the exact reason, but uh, all of that contributed to uh, the decline sales of Yolo V4. Uh, but as the economy started uh, recovering, people, um, most of my student base is in the US and India. India experienced a great decline when they were hit by COVID uh, quite hard. And then eventually when they started recovering, um, I noticed also sales started improving as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. Let's talk about some of the courses then, uh, augmented startups. Let's let's go into uh, augmented startups as a business and the courses you can offer. So, you know, what courses have you got live and what courses have you got coming up? And well, just tell me in general, like what's happening? So uh, you've, uh, I've, we've spoken about my YOLO V4 and uh, YOLO R courses. Uh, so the YOLO R course is one of my best courses that I've released um, to date. Like, you, you know, people saying that, like, this is the best iPhone that we've released. Uh, I truly believe that this is the best uh, YOLO R, uh, uh, best YOLO course that uh, I've released or that is currently out there. Mainly, I decided because I'm working full time on it, um, I could obviously focus all my attention on it. Um, so what it includes is what is YOLO R, how to implement YOLO R, how to train it for your own custom applications for object detection, how to implement tracking with it, how to build a streamlit dashboard uh, with it. Um, and then I just released a whole lot of applications. Like I just went wild with all the applications like uh, uh, blackjack card counting, uh, number plate recognition, car counting, speed calculation, uh, calculating the traject trajectories of different uh, vehicles. Uh, that was quite cool. I, I've even created a Squid Game uh, application using Yola R and uh, Deep Sort. I think. For that. Did you post something? I think you posted something about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I posted a demo. Um, yeah, that was wicked. Still working on a tutorial on that, so th that would be quite. Uh, um, creating sort of like a unity simulation of the game and to see how well computer vision uh, stacks up uh, with it. So th that'll be quite cool. So that's the YOLO R uh, Pro course. And then I have my upcoming YOLO X course, which is uh, mostly focused on the same thing, but with YOLO X, but it's going to be more focused towards building an end-to-end -end product, um, building a web app dashboard using YOLO X. Um, and this is to say, okay, uh, let's get Yola X in. Uh, how can we make an, a full product that you can take to your client, take to your employer and say, this is a full product. Uh, I've done it from scratch. You know, you could use an online service uh, like Azure or Visio.ai to create a dashboard. But um, some people do want to create uh, these dashboards themselves 
mainly because they don't want to pay an online subscription to a third-party company. Also, for privacy for privacy concerns, you, you don't want to host your sensitive data on a third-party server. Uh, you want to host it maybe either on Edge or you either want to host it on your own servers that's maybe isolated from other networks and stuff like that. So uh, that's the main reasoning behind creating a dashboard. So what can uh, the, the guys who join up to this course, what can they expect? Is it tutorial videos or like how, how, is there any like tests or anything? Or like, I'm not sure, like how does it work? So how it works is that um, it's a whole bunch of video tutorials uh, bundled with uh, some theoretical quizzes. And you can, if you want to take it, you can join the course, you can enroll in it and you can take up the assignments. But I also give homework to the students where they'll where I'll say okay, I've done this with um, the blackjack card counting app. Uh, maybe you can take it further by maybe uh, counting cards uh, using using your R and DeepSort for, or just applying it for different applications. So I would post that to my students and then they'll post it in my Facebook group and a lot of people will be able to say, hey, I like this uh, application. Maybe I can try it out myself. So it's, it's quite uh, nice that I have a, like a closely knit community that's also contributing to the work that I've built upon in, in these courses as well. Yeah, so so just like you've created these courses, but more importantly, you, more importantly you've created a community. This community can interact with you and others or... Uh, we have uh, a Facebook group, uh, Discord, uh, but I find I find that there's more interactivity in my WhatsApp group. Um, that's where everyone gets their messages, and people actually are helping out other people in the group without me uh, being the sole uh, person who has to provide technical support. So it's a community where you not only get your um, uh, help to debug the problems that you have, but also to um, network with other people, maybe find jobs or find clients and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a very nice community that I have uh, going on there. That is the power of a community. That's, that's kind of the, uh, what I'm trying to achieve now mm-hmm. is more uh, like engagement. And when, with my communities, I want to be able to make it so that I'm not always the guy answering, not because I don't want to, but because you want to create a community where people interact so much more. Exactly. And I've got groups on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And it, it, it does work and it allows people to engage. And who knows that with that, it can come anything. They could create a, create a business because they've got the same mindset but it's more importantly creating people like-minded and putting them all together exactly and where you've got your specific locate your, your specific field of interest computer vision you have a lot of people who just want to talk about computer vision so you've you've got the by having that community it allows the engagement to really flow so what, what we want to do is ask the audience uh, on your youtube channel you know Put in the comments below uh, with what you wanted to know about courses or other things that you guys may want to hear about. So take it away. But what do you want to ask your audience, Ritesh? I would like to know what my audience's uh, challenges are. Like if you are experiencing challenges in uh, computer vision or just want to get started in computer vision, where to get started, um, I would like to know those challenges so I can take what you ask me and eventually turn it into a tutorial or a series uh, or a course that can help you get from point A to point B. Uh, that's essentially what the goal of the channel is, to solve problems, to help people to get from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah, so make sure those listening comment below and uh, add your input, get involved. So what's next for Ritesh? What's next for you? The next thing is uh, just uh, focusing on the launch of my YOLO X course. Um, I'm planning to get it out before Black Friday. It's uh, it's a lot of work to do before Black Friday. Um, I've got my team working with me. So besides for YOLO X, um, I have a lot of uh, ambitious projects that I want to actually try out. One of them is also to spend more time working on my drone. I had to obviously move away from my drone uh, for a little while um, because um, I needed to focus on my income of my business uh, at, at the time. So more focus more on uh, drone applications, drone swarms. I was quite interested in that. There was this one application that I wanted to do where uh, I could control, control a, dro- a swarm of drones just using my hands and say, okay, lift up, 
or move them away and then just you know do like sort of like a dance motion with the drones that are able to detect me it's, it's quite challenging um uh doing drone swarm technology uh but i want to try something like that i would l- very much look forward to seeing that like there's nothing better than visual art especially in that form exactly amazing well, look, um, Ritesh, we've, uh, we've done 55 minutes or so. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I really appreciate what you're doing for the community. You know, I hope that um, you can gain more, you know, people joining your courses because you're adding value, which is the main thing. You know, you're not doing this uh, just for selfish reasons. You're doing it because you obviously want to grow the communities and uh, get people to learn more. Because there is sometimes in certain areas, there's limited ways of learning. Sometimes people just feel like you've got to learn it on the job. I think that's not true. There are external courses like this, which are really benefiting you. And if you really want to learn and grow, then do something, join up and start augmented uh, startups with uh, Ritesh. That'd be a good idea. Um, but look, uh, just before I let you go, I'd like to ask this question of all my guests. So Ritesh, you're stranded on a, on a deserted island. What are the three things you bring with you? <laughs> ah, put me on the spot here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I could probably have uh, a satellite phone to phone for help. <laughs> three is uh, a backup supply of food so that I could uh, eat, uh, sustain myself uh, while trying to find other sustainable sources of uh, food and um nourishment and stuff like that and then the third thing would be a knife that could also start a fire it will probably have a flint yeah. on the other side where you can <laughs> um, create fire so you could probably heat up food i think those are the necessities <laughs> i was about to say you got the necessities i asked yeah. this question with my some of my previous uh, guests and they all say can we get wi-fi i don't <laughs> think you can get <laughs> it's a deserted <laughs> island but um <laughs> Your, your, your way yeah. is getting out as quickly as possible. Satellite phone. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Definitely. I, I think I watched a lot of, uh, I think I watched a lot of uh, Survivor um, episodes. So I probably learned from there. <laughs> Do you, uh, Bear Grylls is one I watch a lot, who's pretty good as well. So, Bear yeah. Grylls, the Robinson Crusoe uh, movie. Um, there was also Survivor, um, the Survivor Australia, Survivor UK. Yeah, those are the things. Yeah, cool. Ritesh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Ritesh. And uh, look, you've got so much happening. We'll probably do this again in the future. Definitely. All right. Thanks a lot for hosting me, Ritesh. See you soon. That's all right. No problem. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.